The armor of God is the most powerful weapon we have because it's multiple weapons. It's not just the sword. It's not just the helmet. It's not just the breastplate. It's not even just what we put on our feet. All of it together represents the word of God. And last week, we, we talked specifically about the first three pieces and how important they are. But those first three pieces represent what we wear every single day. And today, we're going to look at the next three pieces. And these pieces are specifically for us to pick up and to take as, uh, as needed. So, are we ready? You guys with me? Yeah. All right, good, good. Did you have a good week? I had a great week. I swam two days in a row with manatees. Well, just one manatee. And he really didn't swim with me. He just came up to me, and it was really creepy, and I didn't see it coming. But I can say that I touched the manatee, and I think it's against the law to do that, but I did it anyway. My wife's like, don't put on Facebook. You touched it. I'm like, if I want to, I will. They'll report you. Who's gonna, who is they? I always wanted to know who is the they. <laughs> you know what? Let it be uh, on the podcast. I touched the manatee, and it felt like a rock, and you probably, how many have ever touched the manatee? Really? Man, I thought I was the only one. I thought it was special. That has nothing to do with today's message. Manatees, not even an example of today. Gather, uh, gathered all these cards. and I Thank you. What I want you to do is focus on this, though. In Ephesians chapter 6, I want you to focus on the second part of what Paul was emphasizing to the church. Now, last week, it was the first part. Part one of being battle ready was talking about the first three pieces. And in Ephesians chapter 6, he broke each one of these pieces down. Now, let me give you a little background if, just in case you forgot or you weren't with us last week. Uh, Paul is writing the letter to the church of Ephesus, and he's in prison. This is the fourth letter he wrote. And while he's in prison, not because he's a creeper and he's just staring at everybody that's around him like the Roman soldiers, but he was examining the Roman soldier in his, his garb, his uniform, his armor. And he began to think, by the inspiration of God Almighty, this relates to the church. We as believers have an armor. It's a spiritual armor, and we've got to put it on. So, so as he began to examine this, he began to focus on the fact that the church that he's writing to is dealing with so much pressure that they need this more than anybody else. But today we feel the same pressure. The church was under constant pressure and persecution because in Ephesus, politically, culturally, socially, everything revolved around the goddess Diana. In the middle of the city was this beautiful temple to the goddess Diana. And everybody loved Diana. Any doctrine that was taught outside of Diana was just shunned. It was frowned on. I mean, they're giving away little statues, and they're selling big statues. And it was just like New York City, like I said last week, as if they were giving away the Statue of Liberty, and everybody was excited about this. With 300,000 people gathering about in this city, people were obsessed with this false god. So anything that was contrary to that was shunned. Unless you put your guard down and accepted this as another god and, and merged your idea of Jesus with the idea of the goddess Diana, which is contrary to everything that the church stood for. And so each of these elements are in conjunction with where the church is today. Because of these challenges, Paul gives the church uh, an urgency to stand. Not just to stand, but stand firm. That means don't waver. 
don't, don't give in, don't back up, stand firm because it's going to feel like a lot of pressure on you and you're going to feel like you need to give in, but don't because you and Ephesus are dealing with something that most churches don't deal with, a spiritual warfare that is so strong and overwhelming that you're going to literally feel like you're wrestling with it every day. But he said, listen, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. It's not a physical fight. He said, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, you are dealing with something that's unheard of for most people. It's spiritual warfare. And because of that, you have to be ready and you have to put on, he says, the whole armor of God. So Paul uses this metaphor of a Roman soldier's armor while he's in prison. And, and he concludes that this metaphorical body armor of a Christian is the only way to win the spiritual war. And now we today, nearly 2,000 years later, are able to put on the same armor so we can wear it, win the spiritual war as well. So this is something very important for you to understand. We learned last week that when it came to the armor, Paul divides the armor into two different categories of three. You all with me? Introduced by two different verbs. The first three are introduced by the verb to be. The next three, which is today, are introduced by the verb to take. Paul switches these verbs halfway through for a reason. During the armoring, he says, the next three are very distinct and different. The orientation of these six pieces are very important to understand. But these specific three that we're talking about today are to take, is what is, is to be done on a need basis. In other words, I used this last week. I can't say I came up with it. I just love it. And I heard another preacher use this, this illustration. He said it's like a baseball player. He's in uniform. This is who he is. To be in uniform every single time he goes to the game, he's wearing the belt, he's wearing the shoes, he's wearing the pants and, and the shirt and so forth. He is ready to play because he is a baseball player. You are a soldier and you had the first three pieces on because that's who you are. You have the breastplate, you have the shoes, you have the belt, that's who you are. That's what you wear. Is everybody with me? But then as a baseball player, he might have to, at a time, pick up the mitt because he's in the outfield and he's going to be catching. Or he's a pitcher. It's required at that moment to put the mitt on. Or, or maybe he has the helmet on to protect his helmet because he's going to bat. Or he picks up the bat because it's time for him to bat. The point is, is this. Those pieces are picked up on a need basis. The pieces we're talking about today are picked up as, on a, 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 as you need them, as the time arises for you to pick them up that's when you use them. So, everybody with me? Yep, yes, sir. All right, that's where we're at. It's, it's, it, I think you're really going to enjoy this, not because, not because I'm saying it, just because I love the application of it. So today we're going to focus on the, 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 the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. And these three are represented by the verb to take. So we're going to take these up, all right? So I hope you have the first three on right now, spiritually speaking, okay? The first three are the state to be, and now we're going to take. And so let's jump right into it. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, um, he says, above all, taking the shield of faith. He said, I want you to know that the shield is vitally important, and above all, take that shield of faith. Now, the shield for a Roman was so much different, and I'm not acting as if I'm a historian because I 
don't know history well. I, I probably failed in high school. I know I didn't do well in college with history, but as I looked and studied this subject that we're talking about right now, I realized there is a distinct difference between a gladiator's shield and a Roman soldier's shield. Gladiators is round and small, but the Roman soldiers was unique because it was, it was about four foot tall and about two and a half foot wide because it was used not just to, uh, uh, to shield them, but to hide behind. So for a Roman soldier, that shield was very unique because at times they would come together and create almost like a, I forget what it's actually referred to, but it's almost like a turtle shell where they connect each shield together and put a, a, a top on. So when the arrows were flying and, and, and coming in, it was deflected and so forth. So their shield was very unique. And this is what you need to understand as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Okay? It, there's two elements to the shield of faith. First one is this. Faith takes action. Did you get that? Faith takes action. Taking the shield... Paul says, faith is an action verb. It requires emotion, movement. You can't just say, I believe in it. No, you take it. James 1.22 says, but be ye doers of the word, not just hearers. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? He said, you can't just hear it and not apply it. It's a requirement. If you have faith, it takes action. The soldier took action in what he believed in. He took the shield when it was necessary and trusted that it was sufficient to provide the protection he needed. All right. Um, sometimes I get really annoyed with motion lights. I bought motion lights for the basement at our house because when we went down there, you'd have to find the pull string and pull it. So I got this motion sensor light and I screwed it in. But you can't adjust the sensor. So it was within a short period of time it would go off and then I'd have to wave and it'd come back on. But this is something I did realize with this. There was no power that went to the light to turn the light on until there was action, until there was motion. Your faith is the exact same way. We'll live in darkness and never have the faith that's necessary to protect ourselves against the enemy unless there is action, unless there is motion. And I know that people feel like they have action to their faith, but the reality is if you're not practicing your faith every day, picking up the shield, taking up the shield and saying, I believe in this so much that I know that I can hide behind it. I believe and have faith. Now, let me remind you, every piece of armor is the word of God. So in essence, you're saying, I believe that God's word is sufficient for everything that's coming my way to protect me and preserve me. Take an action. But also, here's something very important, okay, if you're still with me. There's two key elements. It's, it's faith takes action, but faith takes work. It is exhausting to have faith. The shield was heavy. The shield was dipped in a fluid that would extinguish the fiery darts, whether it be water or whatever they may have had at that period of time. But it was heavy. Even if it wasn't saturated with that, it was always difficult to carry. If you're like, well, faith is easy. You're crazy. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Faith is not easy. One of the hardest times for me with faith is watching my nephew and I'm still experiencing it, go through cancer. 
And I was, one day, I'm, I'm confident, man, God, you got this, you got this. My shield is high, I have faith. You got this. Next day, I'm like, I'm just throwing my shield over to the side. I'm like, what is going on? Where are you, God? Why isn't this cancer gone away? I figured when they did the scan, it wouldn't shrink. It would disappear. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Man, that's exhausting. James 2.17 says, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. The shield wasn't an easy thing to carry. It was heavy, and it took work. There's a difference between action and work. Action means I'm moving, I'm doing something. Work means I'm going to be consistent with and I'm going to work at it. It's like at the end of the, the, the fall, or excuse me, the end of uh, the winter and you're going into uh, summer, or we don't even have spring here, we just go right into summer. And I get the weed eater out and I'm like, I'm going to trim up the trees around the trees and I'm going to trim the sidewalk and I pull and I pull and I pull and I pull and it's like, <sighs> I can believe all I want and stare at the weed eater and go, it's going to do a great job. Hallelujah. I believe it can trim the yard. It can make a difference. But until I pick it up, take it, and then work at it, it ain't going to happen. You see what I'm saying? And then when I start to make it happen, it begins to happen, and I can get the work done. You have to understand when it comes to faith, the shield of faith, it takes action and it takes work. Man, it takes work. So the definition of faith in the shield of faith is uh, quickly applied when a believer uh, is in need. You pick it up, you apply it, and you make it happen because the devil's hurtling some things at you. And when he does, you have to be ready. First John 5, 4 says, And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So the question is, how does faith become a, a, a shield? That's the weird one for me. I'm like, I, I'm trying to understand. How does faith become a shield? And so Hebrews 12, 2 gives the answer. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Um, let me put it this way. Faith never points to itself. Faith never points to itself. It always points to its object, Christ Jesus. If it doesn't, then it doesn't work. It's so crucial for you to understand that. Our faith depends on, upon the object of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. You ever heard somebody say, I'm a man of faith? Well, they're a person of faith. Everybody in Hollywood has some type of faith. Well, it doesn't work that way. The reason it doesn't work that way is because the object of your faith is what determines if you have true faith. I have faith and I pick up my shield of faith because I believe in the object of my faith, which is Jesus Christ. I believe God's word is sufficient and I have faith that he is able to keep me from the wilds and the darts, as the Bible refers to as the arrows of Satan. He can help me through those things. So, so it is so important for us to understand that aspect. Faith is uh, interesting because so many people think they have it, but they don't. They don't. They don't. And so think about this. What are you putting your faith in? Where's your confidence? I know I feel really good when my account, my banking account, looks good. I feel good. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, we get, we're not just living paycheck to paycheck. We have some money in savings. I got a great grade. You know, that was rare. But let's say you did really well in school or, or you're getting your diploma, you're, you're graduating. Yay, that's amazing, right? 
feel so confident in those things. But my greatest confidence comes in Jesus Christ. My faith is in him and him alone. Psalms 119 says, Thou art my hiding place in my shield. I hope in thy word. My hiding place in my shield. So I want this to be very clear. The reason why this is so vitally important for everybody in this room as believers is because there's something coming at you. You say, well, I believe in, in the word of God. I have faith in Jesus Christ. I hold up my shield. I take action. I work at it. That's great. But when the arrows start to fly, which is the next portion of this scripture, the fiery arrows, as the, the King James says, the fiery darts, the Greek word for darts is arrows. When they start to fly, that's when you really have to apply your faith. What are the fiery darts? I believe the fiery darts are simply put. They're the pride, the envy, the jealousy. It's the, the doubt, the fear, the worry, the discouragement, the self-pity. It's those things that are flying at us. And they come at us, and I'm going to make sure you understand this, during the evil day. Now watch this. Make sure you get this. At the beginning of this portion of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, we discuss what is the evil day. That's when all hell breaks loose on the believer. That's when the enemy realizes you are at the perfect place for me to make an attack and destroy you. And so Paul says that's why you have to put on the armor. Now, with all that in mind, notice with me that the shield is the only time that you see in Scripture where you see something coming toward you from the enemy. There's no strike from a sword. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no other I items being used by Satan, the enemy. But specifically, it's the arrow, and it's flying towards you, and it's a fiery arrow, which is interesting because the fiery arrow was meant not to hurt you. It was meant to consume you. So when Satan sees you getting weak in your faith and you start dropping that shield and you're like, I'm just so discouraged. I just don't know if I can keep on pressing on. That's when Satan's like, almost. It's almost time. When you start doubting your relationship with your spouse and you start dropping that shield, Satan's like, the evil day is almost here. It's, al it's almost time. And when it is time and the moment is right and you start to drop that shield, they start to ignite every one of those arrows. And I say more than one because if you watch any documentary on history when it comes to Romans, they didn't shoot one arrow in the distance. It was multiple arrows because they want to hit you from every direction. When I was doing Awana with the kids, we were doing a camp out, an Awana camp out. And uh, I remember going to get firewood and it was dark outside. And something, I mean, it felt like the most horrific pain in my neck and then in my arm and then in my leg. And I realized there's bees everywhere and I cannot see these bees. And they're, they're stinging me. And I ran, but the bees ran with me. Actually, they don't run, they just fly. And they begin to sting me. And, I, and I'm allergic to bees, so I'm freaking out, right? You know when it comes to bees, it's not just one bee going, hey, guys, I got this. I got this. I'm going to sing them. It's all the bees that say, we've got this because we're going to make our attack because you're a threat to us. When Satan makes his move, it's not just one arrow. It's the evil day. That means I am going to destroy you. Have you ever said the words, when it rains, it pours? Yeah. I've been there, right? You can't just have one thing go wrong. You have multiple things go wrong. Now, 
This is not a conspiracy theorist idea. This is the reality when it comes to spiritual warfare. That is not by chance for the believer. And I'm telling you, Satan's waiting for the right moment to strike. And when he does, it's not going to be one arrow. It's going to be multiple arrows because he's looking for just the right spot to strike past that shield. Because if you let your shield down, that faith, you start questioning God and you start saying, I just don't know. I just can't do it anymore because it's heavy and it's hard. That's when Satan makes his move. And that's when you start feeling the arrows. Here's the thing. When it happens, it's usually because of sickness and difficulties and hard times, and they start coming. That spiritual warfare is not by chance. It's by design. How do they come? Well, they sometimes come through your thoughts. I mean, the Bible makes it very clear that you have to have the mind of Christ. A dart strikes you, and you say, well, I I don't think I'm dealing with any darts from Satan or arrows from Satan. Well, are you consumed with bitterness? Come on now. Because that fiery dart might just be drilling in your chest and you're walking around every day and not even knowing it because you got a fiery dart of bitterness just drilling you every single day. You're like, I'm fine. Is it lust? It would, I don't know what it could be, but there's a chance that you've let your shield down just enough for to be struck. And so it could be your thoughts. And another one is in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. I want to say this. I am so excited after Memorial Day weekend, worship in the park, to dive in uh, to a, a two-week me- message on mastering your mind, and specifically out of this passage of Scripture. What happens is with Christians, we have this dart that strikes us and it affects our imaginations. You know what an imagination is? It's something that's not real. You just created it. And so what Satan likes to do is to play on your mind. And so when you start letting your guard down, you start creating scenarios that are not true. It's like, I think he's cheating on me. Maybe because you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, you've created scenarios in your own mind about your relationship. Y'all following me? All of these are fiery darts. And it happens through trials and circumstances. Now, the question isn't if the arrows will come. The question is when will they come? And you got to be ready. So, ready for this, the next piece? This is the fifth piece, the helmet. Ephesians six seventeen, And take the helmet of salvation. The helmet had this leather inside of it. It was a heavy-weighted helmet that was to protect from the broad sword that would strike against the head. If he isn't going to take your head off, he's going to make sure you have brain damage for the rest of your life, right? They carried two types of swords. One would be a short dagger and the other would be a broad sword, would be about three feet long. And they would use that sword in such a way that it didn't matter if it cut you. He just wants to hit you so hard it messes up the way you think. Y'all follow me? And so when you put on the helmet of salvation, the misunderstanding is that that means you become a Christian. I'm putting on the helmet. I'm a believer. No, you're already a believer. Or you wouldn't have any of the armor on. It's to, it's to remind you of the assurance you have of salvation. The helmet is placed on the believer to represent the salvation that touches the past, the present, and the future. 5.8 says, Paul mentions this, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation His reference is in the fact that there's hope in our salvation. We never need to get distracted from that. That helmet 
is to protect you from Satan getting into your brain and making you think you don't have it anymore. There's an interesting thing about salvation. Salvation works uh, in three different ways. You have the past, the present, and the future. The past, I've been saved from the guilt and penalty of sin. The, the present, I'm being saved from the power and the pollution of sin. Everybody still with me? I know some of you are going, whoa, where are we going here? The future, I shall be saved from the very presence of sin. Let me clarify. I'm not saying there's lordship salvation, the idea that every single day you're maintaining your salvation, and that's, that's the way it works. No, that's not the way it works. When I became a believer, it was called justification. That's the past. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Justification is simply put, just as if I've never sinned. I am under the blood. We are justified by faith. We're no longer under the law. We are no longer under condemnation. The dominion of Satan no longer controls us. Everybody follow me. Amen. All right, great. I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was 14 years old in Resaca, Georgia, on a very hot afternoon. I'll never forget it. That was justification. That was the past. What is the present? The Christian is being, the sa being saved in the present, and that's called sanctification. That's where I am right now. That means that I am intentionally every single day experiencing victory over sin because I have Jesus Christ within. Y'all follow me? Yeah. Man, that's incredible. I'm not maintaining my salvation. That's not it at all. I'm enjoying it. Y'all follow me right there? I am saved. And this helmet of salvation is to remind me and protect my mind that I was a believer when I was 14 years old, and I don't have to live in sin at, at 34, um, 44. <laughs> I just took away 10 years of my life. 44 years old because I have sanctification. I have the ability to overcome whatever comes my way. I have that. So next time Satan starts working on my brain, say, you'll never get over that. I can say, whoa, I got this helmet. I know that my salvation is not this, the salvation of justification. It's the salvation of sanctification. Every day I'm becoming better and better for Lord Jesus Christ. And if I can't do it, I know he's right there helping me do it. And then there's the last one. Christian has this, this future salvation, which is glorification. That means when we leave this world and we get to heaven, it's all going to change. Poof, full head of hair. I don't know if that's true. I wonder if I get to heaven, I'll have a six-pack and a full head of hair, and I'll be like, Hey, Brianna, here's the reality. There is a glorification that will take place. And that's part of salvation. That means the old life here on earth is gone. I have something to look forward to. There is a day coming when we will have absolute perfection. Man, I can't wait for that. This is a deliverance. I, listen, I, I went on a diet for seven, eight weeks, lost some weight, right? Then I, I went off my diet for like six days and gained five pounds. How does that happen? What is going I, I don't get it. I'm so frustrated with it. But the reality is it's because I'm not perfect. I know it shocks you. But one day the glorification of the body is going to make us perfect. That is the completion of salvation. What's the point? It's simply put. I put the helmet of salvation on to protect my mind from the idea that I can lose it. I ain't going to lose it. Who are you? No man can pluck you out of his hand. So, well, I can mess up. You're still the person that the Bible is referring to that could pluck. You ain't nobody going to be taking you out of the security of the hands of Jesus Christ. Y'all follow me? 
I know I gave my life to Jesus Christ. That's justification. I know that I don't have to live in sin. That's sanctification. I know one day I have heaven as my home. That's glorification. All of that is secured in the helmet of salvation. And I love the helmet of salvation because it's a constant reminder that Satan has no dominion over me. Sin has no dominion over me. And so when Satan wants to strike and pollute my mind with the idea that I'm not a believer, I can stand firm that I got it all laid out because Jesus Christ has control of it all. If you don't have your head in the game, in the battle, you will lose. You'll lose. If you don't believe in the war that you're in, then you're going to put the shield down. You're going to take the helmet off. If I didn't know for sure that I was a believer in Jesus Christ, and I didn't have confidence in that, this would be a horrible life to live. If I'm constantly wondering, well, did I lose my salvation today? Did I do my best? Am I okay? My goodness, what a miserable life. I would never have the confidence of Jesus Christ, the hope of heaven. Y'all follow me? I was only born one time and in this world once. Really? It was one time. You were only born one time in this world. The same goes with salvation. You're born again. You're only born one time in the world. You say, well, I messed up. Well, get your relationship right, but you don't go back and get reborn. I mean, we're going to have the, the doctrinal idea that we are reborn, reborn, reborn every time we mess up is contrary to Scripture. You're sealed unto the day of salvation. What is that word salvation? The Greek translation is glorification. What does that mean? That means until you meet Jesus face to face, just take, take, take charge. You've got it all under control because you know who's leading. It's all right. Rest your mind. And then that brings us to this, and this is so important. We wear the helmet of salvation because we know that Jesus Christ is has kept us and will keep us until that day of glorification. But he, he closes with Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the interesting thing about the sword, like I said, there's a broad sword and there's a short sword. And the short sword was the dagger to, to, to use against the enemy to get around that breastplate. But the enemy uses it against us too. But that broad sword was two-edged. I love going to Gatlinburg. I like going to Smoky Mountain Knife Works. And I always like to get, for whatever reason, a samurai sword. I don't know why. What am I going to do with it? I mean, it's not like you're going to walk around with it. Well, there's some in here that probably would walk around with a samurai sword. But the samurai sword only has one edge. The Roman sword has two edges. And there's a purpose for that. And this is, this is very important. Why? The sword here in this passage of scripture is called the spirit because it is inspired word of God. Remember, every piece of armor is the word of God, right? Y'all with me? So the sword is very important to understand that it it is the sword of the spirit because it is inspired word of God. That means that, that, that it was inspired means God breathed. Every word that is written in that book is trustworthy. There's no, there's no error. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It is the spirit who inspired the men to write it, and it is correct and it's trustworthy. That is why it's called the sword of the spirit. It is the way the spirit works. God's word never returns void. It is a powerful object that we can use. And I want to say this too. It's not just inspired, but it's empowered. 
For the word of God is quick and powerful according to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The word quick means it's alive. I mean, it's a living, powerful weapon we use. So it's inspired and it's empowered. And all because of the spirit. So if you're still with me, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And the word here in this passage of scripture is translated rima. Rima means portions. Now, this is very important. If you lose me here, then it's going to be difficult for you to fully understand the armor of God. We started off with the belt of truth, right? Belt of truth was logos. That's the Greek word. And it means the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's the whole word of God. And it held everything together, all the armor together. Because if you don't have that, then everything's going to fall apart. Now we get to this portion, and it's the last piece of armor, and it's rhema. Rhema means it's portions of the word of God. Why? Because it's at the moment you need it, you use it to strike against the enemy. Who is the best example of this? It's Jesus Christ. When he was tempted... Man shall not live by bread alone. He's referencing Deuteronomy when Satan brought him out into the wilderness. You know what that? Rima, I am going to strike you with the word of truth. Some people refer to this as their life verse or their daily verse or their fight verse. The sword of the spirit works in two ways, offensive and defensive. The offensive is striking the enemy. It's doing exactly what Jesus did. It's using God's word in pieces. There's not just one sword in the Bible. There's multiple swords. You just pull which one you need. It's like it's an arsenal. You just go in and you say, man, today I know Satan's on me and I need this to strike back. I'm going to fight him today with this because I'm dealing with depression. I, I'm dealing with frustration. I'm dealing with bitterness. And I know Satan's going to be whispering in my ear. And I know I'm secure in Jesus Christ. I have the helmet of salvation. But I'm going to fight back. Rima, I am going to take portions of God's word and strike the enemy. And then it's defensive, which means deflecting the enemy. This means you better know what you're saying. In other words, we're not just striking Satan and in, in speaking scripture when we're in the worst of times, but it's also in those moments where you have an opportunity to speak, to speak truth into somebody's life, but you don't know truth. You know, those moments where somebody's speaking against the sanctity of life, somebody's giving their two cents on the idea of, of marriage, and you want to speak into it, you want to defend, you want to be apologetic, but you have no ability to do it because you don't know scripture. <laughs> The Bible says to be always ready to give an answer. We need to always be ready to give the truth. The problem is, is we don't know the truth. People say, man, I, I, I know this is wrong. Why do you know this is wrong? What part of the word of God do you have to pick up to deflect what the enemy is striking towards you? They say, well, marriage is not between a man and a woman. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Well, what are you going to tell me? Your opinion, your ideas, your philosophy? Everybody has that. Give me truth. Give me the sword of the spirit. Give me the ability to strike in such a way that you have authority from God's word. Because if you don't, it's just what you think. And that ain't going to work. If you want to defend, if you want to be apologetic, you better know his word. The word works. It's powerful. And it doesn't return void. You, they may walk away and go, I don't believe that. But if you've spoke the truth in love, it will stick with them. 
because God's word does not return void. They may not convert. They may not get saved. They, may not, they might not turn from their evil ways, but they will not forget the truth that you spoke if you spoke it the right way. Rema, it is offense, it is defense, it is the ability to fight the enemy, and it is the ability to deflect anything that comes your way that says that's not true. But you know absolute truth because you have the belt on the logos, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So you sum it up with this. How do I put this on and walk every day confidently? Well, he finishes in verse 18. And he says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. That means not going to do it in the flesh. It's not going to consume it upon your lust. It's not to make these... It's not little prayers, it's big prayers, it's believing prayers, it's trusting that God is in power, it's supplication, and watching thereunto with all preservation and supplication of all the saints. What does that mean? It just simply means this. You're like Iron Man. I don't even like Iron Man. Y'all know I like Superman, but Iron Man is a good illustration. You like Iron Man. Iron Man, Tony, Tony Stark has nothing except money. I mean, he has no power, no ability. Some of you all give me this skank eye. You know Iron Man's not real, right? Y'all calm down. Tony Stark, he has no power, no ability, and it's not until he puts on the suit until the power happens, until he can defeat the enemy. But he can't put it on unless he takes it up. And the fact of the matter is, prayer is the key to turn the ignition. You can put on the armor of God, but if you're not faithfully, consistently trusting Christ and walking with him in a relationship that's consistent, it is an impossibility to have the armor of God and sufficiently use it to his full capacity. It is like Tony Stark putting on the armor without that thing embedded in his chest because it was the, yeah, I don't know what it's called. It, it was the batteries, it's the power, it's the object that made it happen. And I'm going to tell you something, it is an impossibility if you don't have a real relationship with the one that lives within. It's called the spirit. That's why the Bible says you are to pray supplication in the spirit. If it isn't the spirit, if you don't have a real relationship with Christ, it is an impossibility to sufficiently use the armor of God. Let's stop right there. Would you pray with me? And all I want you to do is this. In your place where you're sitting, just examine yourself and say, okay, am I battle ready? If I truly put on the whole armor of God, and am I ready to fight against the wiles of the devil? And I'll, at the beginning of this study, we talked about the wiles and what that meant. It meant that he has some tricks up his sleeve, and he is ready to use whatever it takes to tear you down. And if you're not aware of this, you're not going to be ready to battle. I, I just want to ask you guys, man, are you, are you tired of losing? I, I get so tired of losing. If you have somebody in your life right now that's experiencing discouragement and they're cutting themselves, or maybe they're, they're, they, they find that the only way they can relieve this life they're living is through drugs, alcohol, or maybe lust, pornography. I got good news, man. The good news is this. You don't have to live a life of defeat. But it requires something of you as a believer, and that is the armor of God. You need to suit up. You need to be ready for battle. The first three pieces you better be wearing right now, but the next three pieces you better be, be, be ready to pick them up on a need basis 
as-need basis. When it comes time, you better be ready to pick up the shield, to pick up the sword, and be ready to fight and have the helmet of salvation to protect your mind because you, it's a sealed deal. If you're still struggling, you're not going to battle right. So right now, I'm going to ask you just, would you pray? Say, God, I, I'm committing this to you in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ's name, I'm asking you to help me. Now, there's some in here that you're confident in your salvation. But there might be somebody in here that has never truly given their life to Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, your battle is never going to be won. First step is this. Asking Jesus Christ to forgive you and become your Savior. What does that look like? It's, it's faith. It's simply put by your own words from your heart. That's the key, the heart. Saying, God, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin in your own words. Come into my life. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he lived, he died, and he rose again. And I believe in the Word of God. The whole truth. And in your own words from your heart, you're accepting him as your savior. If you can pray that way, in your own words and mean it, then the Bible promises you that he will save you. That salvation that I spoke of.